Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to, to Parsha Perspectives for today. I want to thank, as always, our very generous series sponsor for the year, Becky and Avi Katz and family, in memory of David Grossman, sponsored the Parsha series, Le'ilu Nishmas, Dov Ben Menachem Manash. This morning's Parsha show is also sponsored by Gloria and Al Fine and Evelyn and Stanley Weiss, in commemoration of the year outside of Ruth Weiss, Neshama Shadav and Aliyah, and by Howard Stricker, in memory of his mother, Chava Bas Moshe, whose Neshama as well should have an Aliyah. This is our last year for a few weeks. We're going to be taking a break for a few weeks. So please uh, pay attention to when we will resume in person in a few weeks from now. As always, I remind you, we have uh, many years of Parsha classes online. You can find, you can listen to. There are also plenty of other people who give much better Parsha classes online. So the fact that I will be away does not mean that you are exempt from studying the Parsha. You still have a responsibility to delve deeply into the Parsha. So you can still do it together with me from years past or with others, but take advantage of those opportunities. Okay, this week, we have the privilege of beginning the fifth and final book of the Torah, the book of Devarim. Page 938 in the Art These are the words that Moshe spoke to the Jewish people. In the desert, here the Torah does something somewhat unusual and it gives us the exact coordinates. It plots exactly where they were when Moshe begins this monologue. Moshe begins to deliver this soliloquy, this monologue. The Torah tells us exactly where they are standing, where Moshe is. This is the final day of his life and he's going to review all of Jewish history until this point. And he's going to use it as a prism, as a filter through which to communicate where they've gone wrong, what they can do better, give a charge and a mission of where they can go right, who they're meant to be, and how to become those people. The Medrash already notes that this Moshe, who when Hashem, 40 years earlier, recruited him and said, Moshe, I want you to be my mouthpiece. I want you to be my spokesperson. Moshe, I want you to be my ambassador, my agent. I want you to represent me. He recruits Moshe, solicits Moshe to be the leader. And what does Moshe do? What does he say? Lo ish anochi. I, I'm not a good speaker. I'm not an orator. I'm not eloquent. I struggle to articulate thoughts. I'm not your man. Seven days of negotiation. Seven day recruitment. Seven days back and forth and back and forth. The Medrash says that Hashem in fact didn't let Moshe into the land. And Moshe Davin, the Eschanan, for all those days corresponding with the days that Hashem had to plead, so to say, and push and cajole Moshe to accept the responsibility. But Moshe, he hesitated, he demurred, Loish devarim anochi. I don't speak well. I'm not your man. So Hashem said, no problem. That's why you have a brother. And your brother will be the mouthpiece. Your brother will speak for the two of you. But I need your leadership. I need your presence. I need your stature. I knew who you are. Loish devarim anochi. Says the Medrash, though lo, this Loish devarim anochi, this individual who couldn't find his words, Eila hadvarim asher diber Moshe. We have an entire book, a fifth of the Torah, are the words and the speech of the Moshe who couldn't find his words. Somebody found his power of speech. What happened? What changed? Speech therapy? What changed? Where did he find this ability? What was the difference between when he responded, now? What did he get in between? Torah HaKadosha. Some suggest the Torah gives us a vocabulary. The Torah is a language. The Torah gives us the 
power of communication. The Torah gives us our, our ability to speak. You know, somebody who is, not that Moshe was, chas v'shalom, insecure, but somebody who's not confident, struggles to speak. When do I speak up and what do I say? And who am I to speak? And how do I know I'm right? But when a person has Torah, when you know that you speak not for God in the name of Hashem, when we're tapping into when we are spreading the truth of Torah, then Torah tells us without, we don't have to be apologetic and we don't have to be defensive. We don't have to be in retreat. The Torah gives us a language. Torah tells us while the world is struggling on what to believe. It's the Torah view on, fill in the blank. The Torah view on, God, free will, abortion, gender, whatever the issue is, one who ordinarily doesn't know what to say, Torah tells us, here's our viewpoint. Here's what we believe. It's nuanced. It's complicated. It's multifaceted. Torah is not simple and don't oversimplify it. However, the Torah is the vocabulary, it's the language. This Lo'ish Dvarim Anochi, the same Moshe who didn't know how to speak, found his power of speech. Okay, we got a lot to say on this opening pasuk that probably doesn't surprise you. We begin with an altar of Kelm. Rashi says on the words, where are they? What are the coordinates here? They are Be'eva HaYarden, the other side of the Yarden. Ba'midbar, they're in the desert. Ba'arava, they're in the wilderness, the Arava. Molsuf, they're opposite. Ben Paran, Ben Tofa, Valavan, Vachatzeros, Vidi, Zahav. Says Rashi. Hayalachem lomo bimasha asisa bachatzeros, di Zahav al Egel Shaasu, Biglal, Rov, Zahav. Rashi here, first of all, tells us that these are rebuke. There are messages. Moshe is communicating lessons for them to have learned, but he is, he is couching it. He's hiding it. It's nuanced, it's subtle, because he's trying to preserve their dignity and self-respect, their honor. He doesn't want to come out, lash out. He doesn't want to embarrass and humiliate. He doesn't want to provoke a sense of shame. So he embeds the message within the locations and he reminds them subtly with nuance. You remember when we were there? Remember what happened there? And remember when we were there? You remember how you misbehaved and you complained over there? And then we traveled and camped over there? You remember yet again how you... He doesn't say it outright. He protects the dignity of the people. Says Rashi, Shein divrei tochachos umanakan kolam makom ashechis lufnei makom bahem. We'll come back to that Rashi in a moment. Lefichach sasam asadvarim iskirim beremes kvodim sheyisrael to preserve the dignity. We learn a big lesson that when we have to rebuke, when we have to give constructive criticism or feedback to another, don't do it full force. We don't have to do it in an explicit, strong, attacking way. We can do it with subtlety and with nuance. We can do it in a way that preserves the other person's dignity and respect. But why does he invoke these two places? Why does he invoke Chatzeros, Vidiz Zahav? What happened to Chatzeros? Korach, the rebellion of Korach, Dizahav, says Rashi, What happened? Dizahav is a reference to Dizahav. What happened there? The Egel, the Chet Egel. And what precipitated, what caused, what brought about the terrible, poor judgment of the Chet Egel when they miscalculated and they didn't know when Moshe was going to return and they panicked. And in their panic, they built an Egel, an idol. Why? What enabled them to do that? What commodity did they have? Gold. They had plenty of gold. If they had no gold, if they had no mineral, no expensive jewels, they wouldn't have been able to build an Egel. 
So what enabled and allowed the Chaita Egel, di Zahav, was, was that gold. Was that gold. So, says the altar of Kelm, Rom nifla atzmo. You see that Moshe, the hidden subtle rebuke he was giving, was not for the Chaita Egel. Was not for the Chaita Egel. Chaita Egel, you abandon God, cheated on God the wedding night, infidelity, you build and you worship an idol, but that's not what Moshe is holding them accountable for. That's not what Moshe is rebuking them for. Rather, Moshe So said the altar of Kelm, Has it here in the Yiddish, but I'm not going to try to read it that way. He says, I'm not asking you to repair, I'm asking you to change. See, the Jewish people are held accountable here, not for the mistake, but what led up to it. If we're not careful with our circumstance, our surrounding, if we're not careful with our priorities and our focus, if we're not careful with what we pursue and where we have our drive, then the fact that we later give in or succumb to that temptation, it's too late. It's too late. We're human and we have human failure. So what we're held accountable for is in a material society with an emphasis and a focus on wealth, if you accumulate and you amass and you have too much and you're haughty and ostentatious and you show, then it's going to lead to a chayta ego. So what Moshe Rabbeinu here is alluding to in the subtle nuanced rebuke he's giving is not the actual chayt, but what led to it, is what led to it. Not the symptom, so to say, but the illness itself. That's what he's calling them out. That's what he's calling them out for. Revolba also has a comment. Revolba, the great Mashkiach says here, Ela Advarim, where he's admonishing them. D Zahav means more D. Where does the word D come from? D means from the word die. What is die? Enough. Gnuk. Die. Enough. When you have enough. Enough wealth. So what was he alluding to, Moshe? D Zahav. You didn't know how to say die. You didn't know how to say enough. One of Hashem's names, we've spoken about this before. Shin Dalad Yud Dai. That Hashem looked at the world and he said, you know, you could always do better, you could always do more. But Hashem had that capacity and introduced and modeled for us the ability to look and to say, you know, die. It's enough. We invoke that name of Hashem when we are reminding ourselves about the important and that character trait of whether it's Mistapik Bamuat or the ability to simply say die. That's what we sing on Pesach night. Dayenu, die, dayenu. What are we singing? You know what freedom is? Freedom is the ability to say, it's enough. The person who has this insatiable appetite for more, who can never say enough, is not in fact free. You're enslaved to whatever it is you're pursuing. More friends, more followers, more fame, more money. Whatever it is that you want more of, whatever you collect in life, and you can never say it's enough, whatever you feel and want more of, you are a slave to, subjugated to. So what do we do on Seder night? What do we sing? A bizarre song, saying each of these things would have been enough when they wouldn't have, right? Now we're not going to take the time. It's not Pesach. But we sing Dayenu, die, it's enough. So Rashi tells us, sorry, the um, Revolba says, Di Zahav, embedded in the name, is the Musr. You know where your failure, you know what led to the Chayte Egel? 
di zahav, you didn't have the ability to say die zahav. You didn't say it's enough. Rashi writes that Moshe told Hashem in effect caused the sin of the golden calf by giving so much wealth. The Medrash expands on this and gives us the example of a king who has son who gives his son food and drink and adorns him and puts a big wallet with money around his neck and puts him at the door of the Bezona. And what can you expect from that son? You set him up for failure. You give him wealth, spray him with cologne, slick back his hair, and put him outside a house of ill repute. And what do you think? That young adolescent son is not going to act on it? So how could Bnei Yisrael be blamed for the Chayta Egel? So the answer is, says Revolba, Although Bnei Yisrael were placed in a difficult situation, we always have the ability to overcome that test. So in telling us that their wealth caused their sin, Chazal are telling us that the best way to overcome the test is not wait till the moment we're in it. This is like the Altar of Kelm, a very similar idea. But to understand what are the triggers? What are our triggers? What will lead us to cross that boundary or line? Yeah, if you're outside the Bezona, looking good, smelling good, with money to spend, you're going to cross a boundary, a line. If you put yourself in a circumstance, you know what triggers you, you know when you're weak and vulnerable, and then you're going to find yourself later in a place that you regret. So the lesson that we have to learn is, don't put ourselves in that circumstance. Don't place yourself with that device or with that technology. Don't go shopping and buy that food while you're hungry that you claim you don't want to eat and yet you line the pantry of your home with. Don't surround yourself with the people who bring out the worst in you and you'll find you say and share and talk about things that later make you feel worse about yourself, not better. That bring out the worst of you, not the best of you. Don't ever say, I won't be effective. We need to know, not in that moment of the Nisayu on the test, but before we get there, to begin with, says Revolba, that's what you learn from here, and the di zahav, die. We have to know what is enough, and when we don't know where to place that boundary and that border of what's enough, and we enable ourselves to be triggered, triggered then we will come to ultimately violate it. There's a beautiful, a beautiful teaching of Nachman. Why does the Torah tell us all these places? So Rashi, we read this Rashi, that each of these places is an illusion, a subtle nuanced rebuke. There, this happened, and the other place, the other thing happened. Let's go on a journey, a trip down memory lane, not a slideshow of where we had our vacations, the pictures, but what the mistakes were there and how we could have been, how we could have been better. Why do we have to bring up the places? So this beautiful Sefer of Nachman on the Parsha, teachings of Rav Nachman connected to the Parsha. Quotes here from the Likute Mu'aran, Achelik Be'ez Simen Aleph. E Efshar Lodun Shim Adam. We spoke about a Shavasa Matamas. You could go watch the video or listen online. We spoke about going from hypercritical to hypercomplimentary. To stop being a people who intuitively or instinctively turn to criticism, to judgment, to marginalizing, to dismissing, to pushing other people away. We're not entitled in who are we and what right do we have. The differences and the distance we place between ourselves and others and how we sit so haughtily and arrogantly in judgment, in judgment of others. And why is that a problem? 
We mentioned then, we didn't really have a chance to go into it, it was at the end, the mission in the second parak of Avos that tells us, Don't judge your friend until you're in his or her place. So here's the thing. Could you ever be in someone else's place? By definition, you can't. Why not? Because you look different. You have a different IQ, artistic ability, athletic ability. You have different parents, a different socioeconomic status. You're born in a different day, a different time. Every one of us is different than another. No two people are nearly the same. So how could you talk about Makomo? How do you know what it's like to walk in his or her shoes? We don't have the faintest clue what somebody is struggling with or what someone is going through. We don't begin to understand what it is to live life through their perspective. I'll just give you one example. One example. Have you ever had a toothache? Have you ever had a stomach ache? Have you ever had a chronic pain which was debilitating and you are irritable and obnoxious and no one would want to be around you because you were in such pain that it just overtook you? Have you ever had such a pain? Hopefully it lasted a day, you got to a dentist. Hopefully it was a couple days till the virus cleared up. And then you went back to being your joyful, cheerful, pleasant self. But for that day or two, you were a misery to be around. And while others were upset at you for your behavior, you said, do you have any idea what pain I'm in? Do you understand how much this hurts? Do you understand how it won't go away? Do you understand how it's in the background all the time? Do you understand how I can't fall asleep and I can't eat and I can't concentrate? And you expected and wanted the world to have sympathy and understand and give you space to live with that pain. Well, do you know there are people who live with chronic pain every day their entire lives? Do you know there are people who live with chronic pain that doesn't go away? So you might see them as that grumpy, grouchy person. You might sit in judgment of them. Why can't they be happy with what they have? Why are they always in such a bad mood? Why is that person always react that way? Why are they always so that? Do you have any idea the chronic pain? This physical chronic pain? We'll talk about Mir Tashem will be in Yerushalayim. So we won't. But if we're going to read Eicha, this Motzei Shabbos, sitting on the floor, we'll talk about before and people who are in spiritual chronic pain and how lonely that feels. If you have no idea what that's like to be in physical, emotional, or spiritual chronic pain, how dare, how dare you judge another? How dare you judge? We have no idea. That's what the Mishnah Nava says. So essentially, if you can't judge someone until you can be in their place, and you can never be in someone else's place, what is the Mishnah telling us? You can't judge. Stop judging. And if you're going to judge, because we spoke about people naturally judge, by the way, our Pasha speaks to judges. You can't judge till both people are in the room. You have to hear both sides. Don't be afraid of judging. You can't be afraid of the litigants. Torah in our Pasha, when it speaks about the rules of judges, is talking to every one of us because we are, by default, by definition, by design, we are always in judgment. We need to. We judge our circumstance, we judge our surroundings, we have to make judgment calls throughout our day. All the time we make judgments. We're just supposed to condition ourselves to make positive judgments, to judge positively. Be down the kafschus to see things positively. Positively. So we judge, but condition ourselves to judge favorably. So says uh, Reb Nachman, listen to this teaching. It was worth coming today. It was worth waking up today just for this teaching of Reb Nachman. Listen to this, Lior. It's amazing. Says Reb Nachman, Mekomo. Mekomo means place. 
Whose nickname is place? Who do we refer to as place? Baruch HaMakom Baruch Hu. HaMakom Yenachem Eschem. Says Rab Nachman, you know what the Mishnah is telling us? Don't judge your friend until you become God. Until you're Makomo, until you're God, don't judge anybody. You're perfect. You get everything right. You're never in a bad mood. You're never the grumpy, grouchy guy. You make every call correct. You're God. Until you're God. Some people will say, well, I'm, I'm already God. But the person who's honest with themselves knows they're not. Until you're God, don't sit in judgment of anybody else. Oh, is that a geschmack explanation of this Mishnah? Not his place. Until you get Makomo, his place. Until you're God. Until you're infinite and omnipotent. Until you're all-knowing. Until you know and see everything. Until you can really know the truth. You cannot judge anybody else. Every person has a place. Every person is in a place. We even use that in the vernacular. I'm not in a good place. Sometimes a person will say, I'm not in a good place. You say, what do you mean? 7900 Montoya Circle? It's not a good place? So it's not the address. It's not your coordinates. When you say I'm not in a good place, you don't mean where I'm standing right now. I'm not in a good place means psychologically, mentality. I'm not in a good place. Every person has a place. Our place is defined and influenced. Our place is informed and inspired by the family we're born into, by our genetics, by our health, by our everything. But in that place, the place predetermines so much for us. Our place, not only our physical, our spiritual and our emotional coordinates, predetermines and sets us on such a trajectory in life in so many ways. And yet, in that place, we have so much free will. Yet in that place, we have free will. And we can make choices and never forfeit it and never stop believing and never despair. No matter your circumstance, no matter your genetics, no matter the model, good or bad, of your parents or ancestors before you, no matter the cards that life has dealt you, you still get to choose how to play them. You can't change the cards, but you could choose how to play them. And you can make any hand a winning hand if you play them right. That choice is still up to us. So says this wonderful Sefer teachings of Rav Nachman in the Parsha. Maybe that's why Moshe Rabbeinu is mentioning all the Mekomos. That's what Rashi meant. He's invoking all these Mekomos places because what he was saying was, you have a Makom in life. You're in your Makom in life, in your place in life. But you know, and nobody can judge your place until they're in it. Because only God, the makom, knows your makom. And yet, even within our makom, we have free will. We've shared an insight about this before, which I'll remind you of. Who are the biggest casualties in the rebellion of Korach? Here in this opening, Pasuk Moshe reminds them of that rebellion of Korach. And who suffered the greatest casualties? Which tribe was it? Not Levi. Korach comes from the tribe of Levi. And Korach led the rebellion, but it wasn't the tribe of Levi that suffered the most casualties. Which tribe was it? Ruvain. Shkoyach. Ruvain. So Rav Devin Sal Shlita, Zolzayn Gesundenstag, 
rabbi of the Iratika, Rav Nevenzal in his beautiful Sefer and Chumash says, if you're Ruvain, you come upstairs to the Almighty and you say, what? What happened here? Because we live next door to Korach. So many of my tribe, my family, were taken by Korach's charisma, joined his rebellion, lost their lives. So many widows and orphans in my tribe and in my family. But Hashem, how did I end up next to Korach? Because I wanted that house? Because I negotiated for that deal? Because I went on Zillow and followed it for years until in Boca I found the normal price? How did I end up in that house? Who determined? Who determined the encampments in the desert? Hashem. It was divinely ordained. Hashem said, you to the west, you to the east, you to the north, you tribe next to this tribe, here's your address, here's where you're going to live, go unpack. So if you're Reuven, you come upstairs and you say, Hashem, what's the deal? Oh, poor unto the wicked person and unto, yeah, but how did I become their neighbor? Hashem, you put me there. Says Rav Nevensal. You think in life just because Hashem made that your makom. Sometimes you think Hashem gave me this job or this family or this neighbor or this community or put my children to this school. So this is just the way it is. I guess it is fatalistic. I guess it is predetermined. I guess that's the way it is. I can let down my guard and I can forfeit my free will because if Hashem planted and put me here, that's what's meant to be. Says Rav Nevensal, no. If Hashem put us there, it's for a reason. We may never know, know what it is, but we can't let our guard down. Just because for whatever reason that is our makom doesn't mean that we don't still have free will, that we don't have autonomy, that we can't make the most of it. And that's what's going on here, says Reb Nachman. Moshe is giving the rebuke by mentioning the places because Moshe is telling them, every person has a makom in life. What place are you in? Mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically, what place are you in? But just because you find yourself in that place in life doesn't mean that you can stop trying. Doesn't mean that you don't have free will. Doesn't mean that you can't still make decisions and you can't still determine and you can't still decide where you go from here. One more insight on this opening pasuk and we'll move on. It's a very clumsy language. Just say or Moshe. What's Eladvaram Asher Diber? Seems to be somewhat of a clumsy, a clumsy language. The Archaim Akadosh explains these words were not just delivered in that place and in that time. They're meant for all of Klal Yisrael, always, wherever. Sefer Dvarim is the ultimate Musr Sefer. Long before we had Orchas Sadikim or Mesilsa Sharm or Shari Tshuva or Alei Shor or any other Musr Sefer, we should not gloss over or pass over the opportunity. Simply be Marbesedra, Shnai Mikra. Sefer Dvarim is the quintessential Musr Sefer. And therefore, it doesn't say, Asher Dibir Moshe called B'nai Yisrael, as it normally does. The Torah normally tells us, B'nai Yisrael, why here Al Kol Yisrael says the Rachaim HaKadosh? Because Hashem is speaking these words, not just to that generation in that place and at that time. He's saying them to who? To whom? To you and to me. Al Kol Yisrael. He's speaking to all of us in all times. So these Dvarim Asher Dibir, it's redundant. It's clumsy. Dvarim Asher Dibir. Same word is being used in this Pasuk to mean two separate things. Dvarim, 
Eilahadvarim, what are dvarim? Things, Asher Diber, that he said. So which is it? Are dvarim things or dvarim words? And the answer is yes. The answer is both. It's a very fascinating etymology that the same word has both meanings. And whenever in Hebrew we find one word having multiple meanings, there's a close connection between the two. And what is that close connection? And how does this relate to the time in which we find ourselves? The nine days, Bena Mitzarim, Tishabav, ah, such a sad time and a sad reality of our own making. The answer is, you know what creates things? Words. Dvarim, Dibur, creates Dvarim. Dibur, creates Dvarim. And that is the source of the magical term. According to the Oxford Dictionary, the word abracadabra, that magicians proclaim before they do a trick, was first introduced and dates back to, second, I like that I pause as if any of you would know. <laughs> it, it dates back to, according to the Oxford Dictionary, the second century. But I say it goes back to this Pasuk. Because some suggest that the word abracadabra is actually abra kedabra. Abra means I will create. Abra, I create. Oh, magician. Abra, I create. Kedabra, through my speech. Abra, I create. Kedabra, when I speak. Abra, kedabra. Because we create reality with our words. We create reality with what we say. Our words get someone a job or a shidduch. They can move markets and they can close deals. They can lift spirits and they can restore life. Or just our words could make markets crash. You know, some newscaster says from an inside source, the Fed is thinking about raising rates and the market crashes through words. Nothing changed. Nothing happened. No one did anything. But when we are not careful with our words, we can destroy, we can undermine, we can corrupt, we can prevent. You could break up a shidduch. You could cause someone to lose their job. Ele words can elevate or create. They can destroy and profane. That's what we read last week. When you make a promise, the beginning of Parshas Matos, Torah tells us, we mentioned last week, Lo yachel, what should you not profane? Dvaro, your dibur. You know why? Because through your dibur, you create davar. Abra, kedabra. Abra, kedabra. I create through my words. With my words, I create. Yachel, yichalel. Don't make chulen, don't profane, don't waste those words. Those words create worlds. So the truth is, every one of us is a magician. We're all magicians. But you don't need to learn a trick to be a magician. How are you a magician? simply with our words. We can create with our words. There's some people we wish we could make disappear with our words, but we can't. But you can create reality with our words. With words, you can make things appear and disappear, like someone's entire portfolio or value. With words, you can abracadabra, you can do magic. The words we use wire and rewire our brains, they create a physical reality. So, Eila hadvarim, Asher Diber. Moshe says, you ready? Buckle up. I got an entire fifth of the Chumash. I've got something to say. This Lo'ish Tvarim Anochi says, listen carefully. 
I've got something to say. And through his words, he creates a reality. I'm not going to belabor because we've shared before, the Lubavitcher Rebbe Zatzal was very strict about this. About positive language, positive psychology, positive thinking. And that's why the Rebbe insisted. He never used the term deadline. What term did he use? Due date. When you talk about something having a due date, something's going to be born. When you talk about something having a deadline, something's going to die. He was asked to give an endorsement to a hospital in Israel, and he said, only if you call it a Beit Rifuah, not a Beit Cholim. If you call it a Beit Cholim, the people lying there feel, why am I here? I'm here because this is a place for sick people. I guess I'm sick. But if you call it a Beit Rifuah, they say to themselves, why am I here? I'm here to get better. This is a place that people get better. He didn't call it Kiruv. Kiruv means you're far and I'm close and I have to bring you closer to me because I'm right and you're wrong. I've, re- I've arrived and you're far away. He didn't call it Kiruv instead. And the list goes on and on with the examples that the Rebbe had. Because through, and why, why was the Rebbe so insistent? Books have been written. Why the Rebbe was so insistent and the examples and stories and letters where he was so mockbit on language it's just a language, who cares? Just terminology that we're using. Who cares, just a technicality. Who cares? The answer is, The answer is, because the Rebbe, who was a magician for Neshamas, who was a magician in this world, he understood abracadabra. Abracadabra, with my words I create. And he did. And we can too, we bring back Davar. That's why later in our Pasha, the Torah is going to tell us that Moshe sent the spies. It's going to remind us the story of sending the spies. And Moshe says, if you remember, you recall, the spies, I sent you. And why did I send you? I sent you to be able to bring back You approached me and you said, send spies. We're going to investigate. We will bring back Davar. It's a strange thing to bring back. It's a funny souvenir. My Miraglim went to Israel and all I got was this lousy davar. What's a davar? V'yashivu osanu davar es aderech ha-shonah lebo v'esarim ha-shonavu aleyem. V'yashivu What? What's a davar? Marzipan ragalach, now we're talking. Bring back marzipan ragalach. What are you talking about? V'yashivu osanu davar. Says Rashi, you know what davar is? Our Pasha. You know what they came back with? Be'eze lashon heim medabrim. Said the Miraglim, we're going to come back. Moshe says, come back and find out. Eze lashon heim medabrim. What language are they speaking? Okay. Why is that important? What language they're speaking? Which dialect of Arabic? What language are they speaking? Who cares? Are their cities fortified? Where are their military positions? What kind of weapons do they have? What do you mean, Ezelashon Heim Medabrim? Listen to what the Maharal says, Gurariye, in his commentary on Rashi. He says, Ezelashon Heim Medabrim, Vim Tamar, Mayich Basluhu, Be Ezelashon Heim Medabrim, who in the world cares what language they're speaking? Viyira, Ki Ayin Lashonos, Heim, can I get Ayin Umos? There are 70 languages corresponding to 70 nations. Vilachol Uma Nasan Lashon, Valashon Mesiach Ezela Uma. Every nation, every people have a language that corresponds to them. Lufima Shehi Nasan Lakash Baruch Lashon. The holy language is given to a holy people. 
נמצא כי הלושן המסייחס למדרגס האומה. ולפיכך הם רוצים לדעת באיזה לושן הם מדברים. והם ידעו כבר אין כל לושן, כי אוסם שיש לושן עניינם כך. says the Maharal, the language reflects the people. What language are they speaking? It means so much more than which dialect. But it means not only which language, but what are they speaking about? What do they talk about? What are they talking about? You learn a lot about someone by listening into what they speak about. The famous quote, are they speaking about things? Are they speaking about people? Or are they speaking about ideas? What do people speak about around the Shabbos table? What do they talk about at the literal or proverbial water cooler? What someone speaks about, you learn a lot about them. So, v'yashivu lanu, you know what you should bring back? Not marzipan rangalach. Don't bring back a new yarmulke or a t-shirt. Don't bring back a souvenir. V'yashivu lanu, davar. Find out what they talk about. Because if we need to know who they are and what they're all about, then listen in and tell us what they speak about. What got us into all this trouble? The Bechil Adoros. Think about it. What was the problem? That night, that fateful night, the Chet HaMaraglan. What was the, what was the problem that got us into this Bechil Adoros? That for the last thousands of years we've been crying in Golos, Tishabav, through the ages, tragedy and tribulation. What was the Chet HaMaraglan? What did they come back and do? They steal, they rape, they pillage. No, what'd they do? They misspoke. Through their language, they created a terribly negative reality. Through their language, through their speech, they destroyed. They came back and they reported. Through their dibur, they created a dover that continues to reverberate negatively until today. What's the tikkun, what's the repair? Eila hadvar masher diber. So this is a time of year, every time of year, but especially now, that we are hyper-focused on our dibur, how we use our power of speech. Are we magicians? Abra kedabra, abra kedabra. Are we trying to, with these words, create positive outcome, compliments, lift spirits, create, build, or God forbid the opposite? We misuse and abuse the power of speech when we created division, so division, machlokas, the sin is that led to the destruction. So if that's what was the cause, then it's also the solution. To use that power of dibur to bring about the geula, to bring about the redemption. It was on the 40th year in the 11th month, the first of the month, Moshe spoke to the Jewish people. According to everything that Hashem commanded him to them. Which two words in that Pasuk are extra? Which two words are extra? Hashem commanded him to them. Seem to be extra words. My good friend Rabbi Mirzav pointed out a beautiful insight of the Menachem Sion. We got him into the Menachem Sion. Rabbi Menachem Ben Sion Zaks, you know, he's become one of my favorites. So he says on these words, Hamila Alayam Nira Lachora Kemiuseras. This word Alayam, read the Pasuk again, let's read it together. From page 938 to 940. Diber Moshe al Israel, Moshe speaks to the Jewish people, Kechol Asher Hashem, as God commanded, Oso, 
commanded him, Alehem. What does Alehem mean? What does Alehem mean? To them. It's completely extra. What does it add? Says from Menachem Etzion Zaks, maybe, maybe, it's a reference to what we saw earlier. Back in Sefer Shmos. God spoke to Moshe and Aaron and he commanded them regarding the Jewish people. Says Rashi, Tziva Aleihem. Why did God have to command Moshe and Aaron regarding the Jewish people? What was the command? Tziva Aleihem Lahanhigam Benachas. He said, this people, they're incorrigible, they're miserable, they're going to complain. They're going to criticize, they're going to be suspicious of you. We have that in our parsha too. I don't think we're going to get to it. But the people were suspicious. Moshe leaves late, he leaves early, he has no shalom bias, he's this, he's that. It's miserable. Leadership can be very, very, very lonely and at times painful. And Hashem warns Moshe at the very outset, while he was yet in smicha, Vayitzavim. So you sure you want to go into this? Because if you do, lahanigam benachas v'lizbolosam. The author of Kelm said, you see from here, the core critical criteria of a leader is patience. Patience. Sufferance. The ability lizbolosam. They're going to make your life difficult. They're going to be miserable. They're going to complain. They're going to be unappreciative. They're going to be unfair. They're going to be suspicious. And that's what the Pasuk is telling us. And it was in the 40th year, It's been 40 years. Moshe, it's your 40th anniversary in the Rabbanus. We're going to dedicate a Sefer Torah. We're going to name a wing after you. We're going to send you and the Rebetzin on a vacation. You know why we're going to do all of that? Because you have no hair, whatever hair you have left is gray, and it's because of this congregation, it's because of these people. This extra word, says the Menachem Tzion, is teaching us that even though it's 40 years in, Moshe has not lost any patience. Moshe, like a loving father, remains completely patient and loving and doting on the people. Alehem. Even though it's the 40th year, Alehem. He continues to have the patience. He continues to care. He continues to shepherd. He continues to be incredibly devoted to them. Paragal Apostle Gid Beis, turn the page, 942. We read this with the Eicha Trap. Eicha Esa Levadi Tarchachem Masachem Verivchem. Some suggest this is why we always read Parshas Dvarim before Tishabov. Because here Moshe says, How can I alone carry your contentiousness and your burdens and your quarrels? Eicha Esa Levadi Tarchachem. We spoke about this at length last year, two years ago, I don't remember. Based on this Rashi. I'm not going to repeat it. An amazing Rab Nachman of Breslov. I'm not going to repeat it. you go got to go back and listen to it. Says Rashi, What happens? This is the suspicion. 
If Moshe got up early and left Amram Maro Ben Amram Latzei Shema in a Shafai B'Soch Beso, why is he leaving early? He has no Shalom bias. He tries to stay out as long as he can. He works the longest hours. You know why Moshe works the longest hours? You know why Moshe can be found at the office all hours of the day? Because he has no peace and harmony in his home. Icher Latzeis. You know what happens when he sleeps in? You know what happens when he leaves late? After a lovely brunch with his wife? Amrum Mara Ben Amram Shalalatzeis. You know why he's late to work? Because he's sitting at that brunch with his wife, scheming and plotting and stealing from us. That lazy, good-for-nothing bum, get to work, Moshe. Moshe could lose. He was lost either way. He didn't have a fighting chance because they were so cynical. It was the cynics. That's what Moshe... I can't win. I can't win. I don't remember if I told you the story last time. This goes back years. That I once get a call from somebody who's upset. He says, Rabbi, I haven't been in shul for weeks. You didn't notice. Nobody noticed. Nobody called. Nobody checked in on me. I said, I'm so sorry. I feel terrible. You know, we have so many minyanim on Shabbos morning in such a seasonal community. People come and go. But I feel terrible. You're right. And I apologize. And please accept my apology. And I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. How are you? Where were you? Welcome back. So great to have you. I hang up the phone and I say to myself, who else haven't I seen in shul for a little while? I should probably make a phone call. So I thought of somebody I hadn't seen in a few weeks and I call him. I say, so-and-so, I haven't seen you in a few weeks. Hope everything's okay. I'm just checking in. He says, and I quote, Rabbi, what, are you taking attendance now at shul? Tachachem, masachem, verivchem. Sometimes you can't win. You can't win either way. Whatever you do. Whatever you do. Rashi quotes the Chazal. It says this was Apikursus. Where's the Apikursus in this? Listen to last year's shir. Rav Elio Meir Bloch, the Rosh Hashiva of Tel said, You see from here, you see that you can't win. Don't expect to win. You're not in it to win. You see from this Pasuk and from Moshe Rabbeinu's reality that you're not in it to win. Why Taka did Moshe sometimes leave early and sometimes leave late? Moshe had a erratic schedule. It was a pretty consistent schedule in the Midbar. The mun fell. The water was available, and the protection of the clouds and the fire. Why did he have an erratic schedule? The truth is Moshe was exact. Moshe was exact every single day. But if you're looking for problems and criticism, if you want him to be later, then you see him as leaving early and you conclude he has no shalom bias. If you wanted him to come early, then you perceive him as leaving late and you suspect him of scheming and plotting against you. It wasn't Moshe who had different schedules. It's when you're looking for the bad, when you're looking for the negative, you will interpret the reality to conform with what you're looking to see. What a great insight, but it tells her, no? These cynics and scoffers 
we're not noticing about Moshe that Moshe was inconsistent. Moshe was the epitome of consistency. Ah, so how could some say he left early and some say he woke up late? The answer is because each of them were predisposed. Each of them wanted to arrive at their suspicious conclusion. So they interpreted the time based on what would support the suspicious reality that they thought they had. You answered me. And you said the thing that you have proposed to do is good. The thing that you propose to do is, is good. What's going on here? Says Rashi. You answered me. Rashi tells us what's going on. I couldn't bear the burden alone. So I needed to. I needed to delegate. I needed to recruit other leaders. And there would be a chain of command, a hierarchy, and I would only deal with the things that no one else could deal with because I couldn't bear it alone. And when that proposal was offered, what did you answer? What did you answer? You said, That's good, that works. You could have a team of rabbis, you could delegate, you could have a robust staff. Absolutely. You answered that works. That's good. But Rashi says something that this is a criticism. Rashi says, Vatanuosi, you answered something negative. Why? What's going on? Because Moshe Rabbeinu Tobias Yisrael, Shekasheri Gia, Kasheri Gia, sorry. Having some technological challenges here. There we go. What's the criticism? What's the Musr here? Moshe says, you know, when I told you this plan to delegate, you should have objected. You should have said, no, Moshe, we want you. We only want to learn from you. The answer is because Moshe Rabbeinu heard directly from God. So since Moshe Rabbeinu heard it directly from God, it would have been the most authentic transmission. And the people should have objected and said, we don't want to hear it one person from another. We want the most direct route that there is. We want to hear it from as close to the source as, as possible. The Megid Yosef. The Megid Yosef. Yosef Sorotskin. Moshe here says... The suggestion was made to delegate. Who does Moshe not mention? Who gave him the suggestion? Who came and said, Moshe, you're so overwhelmed. I'm worried about you. Moshe, my dear beloved son-in-law, you need a staff, you need a team, you need to delegate. I'm worried about you. Moshe gives it like, he never mentions Yisrael. Why not? Go back to Parsha's Yisro and you find that of course this was Yisro's idea. So what happened to Omer B'Shem Omro? What happened to bringing redemption to the world by acknowledging the source? Says the Megid Yosef, We can explain it based on the Sifri. So 
וְשֶׁהִסְכִימוּ אֶם הַרָיוֹן לְקְבֹעַ חֹטֶסֶם בֵּנֵיהֶם. וְרִמֹשֶׁה לְבֹא כָּאן לְכְתוֹב קוֹרוֹס עַם יִשְׂרָאֹל, אֵלָא כֹּפָּשָׁה זוּי תוֹכָּה חָמְגוּל לְעַם יִשְׂרָאֹל. וְאִם כֵּן זֶה שֶׁיִשְׂרָאָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָהָה
Here the Jewish people are about to realize the dream. Here the Jewish people have come so far. And yet, in that fateful moment, when they came back and they could have reported positively or negatively, they could have used that power of speech to build and to elevate. Instead, they used it to undermine and to destroy. And because they did, they compromised the entire mission. Wow. Just when you let your guard down, just when you think you're done, just when you think you've arrived. You ever see a video of somebody in the marathon in the race and right before the finish line? You ever see in football, the guy who's celebrating at the one yard line, he tries to moonwalk into the end zone and just at that second, an opposing player knocks the ball out of his hands. He fumbles, he falls, and he looks like an absolute fool. We actually have a term for this. I like to use this term. We say, we say, don't spike the football before you're in the end zone. You ever hear that term? Don't spike the football before you're in the end zone. Klai Yisrael were spiking the football and they fumbled at the one yard line. And the lesson for us, what Moshe was telling them, you were at the one yard line. We could have all been in Israel. Mashiach would have come, could have built the base on Mikdash, it would have been everlasting. Moshe himself would have escorted them in. Don't prematurely celebrate. Don't fumble at the one yard line. Don't let down your guard. Don't feel you've arrived. Doesn't matter what age, what stage of life. Doesn't matter what time in your career. The Yitzhahara never rests. The Yitzhahara never takes a break. The Yitzhahara is never ever done. And therefore don't ever, don't ever let up. Don't ever let up. One more thought. Vaitava davar Pasach of Gimel. We'll end with this. We have more, as always. But we'll end with this. We have a Leviah of a very special and holy woman, one of the early pillars and founders of our community, momentarily this morning. This is Ijak. Perak al Pasach of Gimel. We'll end with this. And you found favor in my eyes, and we found 12 spies, and they went and they headed out. Moshe testifies. Not just that he didn't oppose their plan, but the Ramban explains the beginning of Parsha Shlach that Moshe sent people to see the land, not only to see the land, but how to conquer it. And from that goal, the people were very happy. So, where's the Chetam Raglam? What did they do that was so wrong? If Moshe was happy, if he was satisfied and happy, if he bought in, and if he endorsed it, where'd they go wrong? So listen to what the altar of Kelm says. Iker chet haisa, pizizus mitzad Yisrael. It says, vatikravun elai kolchem, you all approached me. And Rashi says one word. Vatikravun elai kolchem bi'irbuvia, yiladim dochafim es hazkenim. Shoving and pushing, everybody was bi'irbuvia. There was chaos and commotion. You wanted this so bad, Moshe had a plan. Moshe had a goal from the spies, but the people didn't buy it. They didn't believe it. They panicked. There was hysteria. There was pushing and there was shoving. And that was the Chet Egel. The Chet Egel is hysteria and panic. A failure of faith to not believe in a leader that there is a plan and there is a mission. Irbuvia. There was hysterica. There was panic. They had lost their menuchas ha-nefesh. A year, a Jew is always meant to live with menuchas ha-nefesh. A sense of calm, to know it's going to be okay. Here's what we have to do. 
the moment there is Erbuvia, someone just sent me a video yesterday I saw of a small plane where a pilot passed out. So a passenger who'd never flown before had to call the tower that guided him into landing the plane. And while you listened to the voice from the cockpit, it showed the flight pattern. The plane was zigzagging. If you were just looking at it, you'd think, you don't know what. And this person had never flown a plane while the person walked him through it, landed the plane safely. You saw the zigzag till he finally came in and landed safely. The most remarkable part to me of this little video that was sent was the passenger was completely calm. What, what do I do next? What do I do now? How do I do this? What do I look at? Am I doing okay? He wasn't screaming, he wasn't panting, he wasn't out of breath, he wasn't hyperventilating. Menucha sanefesh. If a person really has a muna and believes in God, then they remain calm at all times. Keep calm and carry on because God's in charge. But when you act buvia, when you act with panic and with hysteria, when you shove and when you push, when you panic, it is a failure of faith. You don't believe it will be okay. You're not confident that there is a plan and that Hashem is watching our back. That was the Chet Maraglam. The Chet Maraglam was not asking for the Maraglam. The Chet Maraglam maybe was not even the report of the Maraglam. The Chet Maraglam was the response to the Maraglam. The Irbuvia, the panic and the chaos, the failure and the breakdown of faith in Hashem. And that is what we continue to suffer from until today. Please remember, we're on break for a few weeks. No Parsha class. You could listen to old years. You could listen to other people's Parsha class. So until we resume, until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.